audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church and is part of our series in the Gospel of Luke. For more audio or information about our church, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Well, good morning. I hope that you have had a, a great week. I'm so glad that you're here. If you're uh, new with us, if you're a guest here, I just want to welcome you. I'm glad you're here. If there's any way that we can help you, any way that we can serve you, please let us know. So at Stone Oak, what we, what we will do, what you're kind of stepping in the middle of, is we will typically walk through books of the Bible together. Uh, so you happen to be with us on a week that we are, we're journeying through the book of Luke uh, together, if you've never looked at Luke, you're in for a treat. This book is an incredible book. They're all good. This one's, this one's good. Um, and so we're gonna have we're gonna have some fun this morning as we look. And I don't know if this makes you think more or less of your pastor, but there are there are certain um, passages in the Bible that, as I read them, I'm like, I think I've heard I've heard of that, but I have never once like really thought about this passage of scripture. This week was one of those weeks. This was a blast this week uh, in preparation for this morning. I can't wait. Two things before we get into Luke together, and that is this. If you're here and you don't own a Bible, uh, I would love, we would love to give you one. So on that back middle table, you'll see hardback black Bibles. Um, These are for you. Just go and and grab one, no strings attached. We We won't even, you know, we won't ask you anything. Just go grab one. Uh, it's yours. It's, it's something that we love the opportunity to give. We've given away several cases now. And so please grab one if you don't have one. And, and while you're back there uh, on this other table, there are some Luke guides. Uh, these are just tools for you as we go through Luke to come alongside of you as, as we kind of go through it together. So if you haven't gotten a copy of uh, God's Word... Grab one. If you haven't gotten a copy of the Luke Guide, grab that as well, all right? Well, I'm excited about our text this morning. We are in Luke 4. We're going to be in in verse 16. Um, What I want to do is, as you're finding your place there, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and grab them. We're going to be, as I said, in verse 16 in in Luke chapter 4. Uh, Let me set this up just a little bit. So, Jesus, at this point that we get to our text, is becoming a little bit of a hometown hero, a hometown um, celebrity. So in in Luke, what it does is it goes from Jesus' birth to his childhood to his baptism and then uh, temptation, then right into ministry, right? We've looked at that over the last couple weeks. Um, However, Luke does not give us some of the things that went on before our moment in Luke 4, verse 16. So before we get to this moment in time, our text today, Jesus had been doing some incredible things. His ministry had really begun. In fact, you know, as I said, Luke might not record it for us, but Matthew does. And so in the book of Matthew, if you, if you have time this week, you can look, but, but Jesus, it's recorded for us what Jesus was doing before our scene this morning. He was uh, healing. He was, he was casting out demons. He was, he was uh, performing just miracles, and, and Matthew gives us a glimpse to the fact that Jesus was, become, was developing somewhat of a reputation. All right, somewhat of a reputation, and, and a buzz was spreading. 
And that buzz was spreading even to his little hometown that we're going to kind of drop in on this morning. So keep that in mind. His reputation's growing. And now let's look at our text in, in verse 16. All right. So in verse 16, it says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. So uh, just pause button real quick. It'll help if I kind of give you a little bit of context for what is happening here. If I were to have a time machine, take us back, uh, let's, let's kind of get a glimpse of what a synagogue service would look like, because it really does help in this story. So, so here's what you would expect. First, they would sing, right? That's not that weird. We just, we just did that. Um, they would sing, uh, specifically, they would sing psalms together. So they would come together, they would sing, and then after the singing, they would, they would recite the Shema together. We don't typically do that, but the Shema comes from Deuteronomy. You may have heard this, this phrase, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. They would, they would say that, together, and then right after that, they would recite a, a few benedictions together, all right? You following me? So sing, then they would recite things together. After they would recite things together, um, then they would read the scripture. So at this point, someone would stand up, and first, they would typically read from the Torah, the first five books of your, the Bible, the law, they would read from that, and then after that, they would read from the prophets, so just back to back. So sing, recite, read, right? After they would read uh, from the Bible, then someone would give an explanation or a sermon, most of the time off of the scriptures that were just read. You following me? It's not all that different than what we're, what we're doing this morning. Um, but they would, they would read, uh, then they would preach, and after that they would give one final benediction, one final farewell. And, and you may have heard this one, too, from Numbers. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And that would be it. So we just went through a, uh, a, a service in the synagogue. Are you with me? That was a service in the synagogue. Now, that's what Jesus is in in our text. Okay, so with that in mind... Listen, he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and it was his custom that he would go to the synagogue on Sabbath day. It's, it's service time. It says, he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. So singing was done. The, re the reciting was done. Now it's the reading time, and Jesus, the hometown hero here, gets up to read from the prophet Isaiah, and and. He, they hand him this scroll. He undoes it. Listen to this. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. So Jesus takes the scroll right in the middle of the service. All the people are waiting to hear what Jesus says. All right? We there? You can say okay. All right. There we go. So then Jesus reads these words. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Amen 
Amen, amen, Jesus. But then Jesus does something very strange. He stops reading. He just stops reading. So this is a, this is a direct quote from Isaiah, and Jesus stops in the middle of Isaiah's thought, right in the middle of a sentence. Now, we might not pick up on that. Um, they would have. Here's what Isaiah says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. That's a big concept that Jesus, we're done. And he sits down. He just stops. He reads verse 1 and 2a and sits down, right? So then listen to this, verse 20. He, he rolled up the scroll. That's the equivalent of us closing up, all right? He rolls up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, okay? So, Jesus, you forgot. Maybe you just forgot. You forgot the second half. Why don't you finish that thought? Why don't you finish this thing out, Jesus? You forgot something here, but he rolls it up, gives it back, and, and uh, so... Follow me. At this point, it's a pretty normal synagogue service, all right? Except for the weird stopping in the middle of the sentence thing, it's a normal synagogue service. There's been singing, benedictions, scriptures read, and now it is time for the sermon, okay? So in this culture, the person reading the scripture would always do so standing, so they would stand, they would read the scripture together, and also in this custom, the preacher would be preaching while seated, okay? So seated. Now, Jesus here in our text stands up to read the scripture, hands the scroll back to him, and then he sits down. Why does he sit? He sits because now it's time to deliver the sermon, so follow me. Our verse says, and all the eyes, uh, or the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Why? Because it's sermon time, and he's sitting there about to give the sermon. All right? They're all fixed on him, waiting for him to teach what he just read, and maybe potentially explain the fact why you conveniently left out to be. Right? Maybe he'll, he'll give us a heads up on that, why you skipped it. So, all the eyes in the synagogue were fixed on him. And then verse 21, he began to say to them, you guys ready for the sermon? This is a powerful and short one. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Period. Period. Now, if there was ever a mic drop moment, that's it. Right, he just reads this. You guys are wondering about the interpretation of these, this scripture. You're wondering when this is going to happen. What's going to happen? How is it going to look? And Jesus just says, let me read it for you and then just say this. I did that. It's been fulfilled. Right here, right now, right here in front of you. It's been fulfilled. As I said, if there were mic drops back then, that would be it. All right, so then... It says, now we are going, um, so let's drop back in, verse 22. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. Right? So, so they heard this, they're, they're, they're kind of marveling at this. 
And then all of a sudden something shifts and they're, is this not Joseph's son? So Jesus just kind of blows their mind a little bit and then they're marveling at this man, their hometown hero. They've never heard anyone teach like this. They've never heard anyone say these kinds of things before. Never before have they heard anything like this. And then all of a sudden, it's like they think, hey, this is the neighborhood kid. This is the guy that we saw growing up here, right? This is the neighborhood kid. Is this not Joseph's son, Mary's son? Is this not just, is he not just a carpenter? Who gives him the right to drop that mic, right? Who gave him that right? Now, um, Matthew, again, we're going to kind of jump back and forth, records this same scene but does so very uh, differently. Not in conflict, but Matthew unpacks something that Luke kind of flies by a little bit. And I want to I look at this in, in Matthew 13. Matthew 13, verse, verse 54, it says, In coming to his hometown, he taught in their synagogue, uh, so that they were astonished and said, all right, so we, we're there. That's what Luke was talking. Now listen to what they said. Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not uh, his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Are not all his sisters with us? By the way, Jesus had sisters. That's cool, right? Um, where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense to him. So it's almost like something set, set in and they, they realize, wait a second, we know him. This is neighborhood Jesus here. Now, um, while they were, while they were wandering, wondering about this and, and who's saying these things, listen to Jesus' response. Verse 23 in Luke. I know I'm making you flip back and forth, but I trust you guys. Verse 23. And he said to them, doubtless you will quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, remember, he had been doing a lot of incredible things before this point. What we've been hearing about you, listen to what they say, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. What a statement by, by Jesus. He's been doing so many miracles, opening blind eyes, casting out demons. And no doubt the people that heard him preach that very weird sermon are saying, how about you do some of that here? How about you prove what you just said? Can you, can you do some of those things right here? Substantiate the claims that you are making. And Jesus says, truly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. Now, um, Jesus is calling out the fact that they will, in fact, reject him. That they will, in fact, reject him. Now, Jesus goes on to make them extremely angry. Really angry. Uh, follow me here. He, what, he, what he does is he's going to give them two examples. Each one is going to kind of boil their anger more. All right, let's start with the first one that, that gets them going. All right, so example number one, Jesus said in verse 25, but, I, but in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to 
Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. So this example comes from 1 Kings, specifically verse 6. And keep in mind, church, Jesus is standing before a bunch of Israelis, Jewish people. Okay, he's standing before Jewish people. That'll help this sink in a little bit. And in this text, he says, remember, there was a famine. Remember, there was, there was no food, no water. Remember when there was widespread and mass hunger uh, for the children of Israel, just mass scale. And remember when God sent a prophet to none of them? to none of them, instead to a Gentile woman, a widow. Now in 1 Kings 6, we read about this widow's faith and obedience. It's a beautiful story. But it gets under their skin just a little bit. And now Jesus is going to go so deeper. All right, get ready. Example number two. Verse 27 And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman, get this, the Syrian. Okay, so so this, again, speaking to Jews, this again, um, coming from 2 Kings this time, he says, there were many lepers in Israel, many lepers, many of them were Jewish, right, and and. Yet in this example, through Elijah, um, God sent a prophet to none of them, but one, Naaman the Syrian. So I want to, um, before we get to their response, which is interesting, let's compare. Remember verse 22, it says, all spoke well of him, marveled at his gracious words. That's where they were five seconds ago. Now, contrast, verse 28. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up, drove him out of the town, and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that, what? They could throw him down the cliff. What? Like, what is, what is happening, right? I mean, that would be like you not liking something I said, taking me after this and walking me to a cliff to f- hurl me down. Like, side note, don't do that. <laughs> Just simple conversations. That's all, that's all, if you're, yeah, anyway. Um, this is crazy because they go from marveling at him to murder they, they, it gets so bad so quick. Um, and then verse 30 happens. So I am convinced that verse 30 is a miracle. Verse 30, but passing through their midst, he went away. Again, I've, I've breezed by this story many times, but that right there has to be miraculous. What in the world is that? If I were to offend you, and if your intent was to murder me, and if we were all taking me out to throw me against rocks, would you lose me? Right? That's, that's so strange. It's like you had one job. Where'd he go? 
right? It, it's such, it, this has to be miraculous here that Jesus somehow in the midst of his anger and wrath, whew, here's the reality. One day Jesus' life would be taken. One day Jesus would be rejected, would be murdered, would be beaten, would, but that day wasn't here. It wasn't yet. And so Jesus vanishes. I was talking to my son about this, and I called it Ninja Jesus. He just, <laughs> he vanish, vanishes. He, he eludes his attempted murders. And, and now what we're going to see is there's a pretty big shift that's going to take place in Jesus' ministry away from his hometown. Can you blame him? Right? And we're gonna see this all throughout Luke, that a, that a distinct shift happens right here for all of, all of Jesus' future ministry, and we're gonna see the side effects of that. Um, but here's what I want us to do. With the, the rest of our time this morning, um, I want us to spend our time together looking. So Jesus reads this scripture and then gives us an incredibly powerful sermon. And I would love to spend the, the rest of the time that we have together unpacking it. Uh, just, just trying to unpack it because all cards on the table here. This, this, when we realize what Jesus says here, we will have a response. Not just for them at that point in time, hearing Jesus give this sermon, but for, for us today, um, this calls for a response. This is an incredible text. And so let's walk through this. So Jesus, with everything that we just said in mind, says the Spirit of the Lord, it's the Holy Spirit, is upon me because he, that's God the Father, through the Holy Spirit, has anointed me, here's what Jesus says, to proclaim good news to the poor. Uh, let me be clear, um, financial status is not the fullness of what's going on in this text. Um, this is a reference to spiritual poverty, being spiritually poor. Um, for those who have a deep, unquenchable need, Jesus says, I came for you. I came for you. I came here with good news. The leper, the widow in desperate need, I came for you. I came for you. Um, I came to those who cannot do anything to fix what is broken. I came to give you good news. Jesus in another place is blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Um, church, you cannot even fathom the riches that are yours through Jesus Christ. Yours is heaven, spiritual wealth beyond all measure. And that's what Jesus says. I came to proclaim that good news. This hits close to home uh, as I was thinking through this this week. So uh, when we were in the process of starting Stone Oak Bible Church, we were, we, uh, it was about almost seven years, six and a half years ago, we were praying, we didn't start that long ago, but the story that I'm about to say, clarification, we were praying for where, God, would you send us? I mean, we were open to anywhere. Where, God, would you send us to plant a church for your glory? We were praying. Our doors were open. And, and all of a sudden, we felt like God was, was directing us and leading us. This was about six and a half years ago to north central San Antonio. We did research on this community, and we started praying specifically for this community. And, and, and 
we just began to pray for what God was going to do. And then um, as we shared with people, not often, all right, but the most common thing that we heard as we shared this vision with people was this, the most common pushback. Why wouldn't you go to an area of greater need? Why wouldn't you plant, uh, specifically, we heard this a lot, plant an urban church? Plant a church in an area that is broken and that needs you. Why don't you plant there? Which, hear me, great question. Um, Side note, by God's grace, let's plant churches there. All right? We need churches there. But as uh, as we were praying through this, and those moments in particular seemed to... um, give us a more clear picture of what God was specifically calling us to do. Here's the reality. In urban ministry, the need is very clear. It is tangible. You see it. You can touch it. It's not denied. It is readily uh, viewable by anyone. That's the... You see the poverty, both physical and spiritual. You see it, it is on display, right? In other words, you don't have to convince the community that there is a need. You don't. It's clear and it's right there. However, ministry in our context is so different. So, so different. Let me, let me just put it before you that in so many ways, more difficult. Because our need is denied. It's not as clearly seen. Um, it's not just out there for the world to see. Our needs are masked. They're hidden. And they're behind facades. Let me be very clear. We are just as poor as any urban community is. We are just as broken, just as poor, only often our poverty is denied, hidden, protected, medicated by things that we can afford to make things better. It is a very difficult thing to do ministry in a community that does not realize that we, church, are poor. God says, I came to bring good news to those who are poor. That's only good news for those who realize they're poor. This is what we are called to. Um, So often, I, I catch even myself, believing the lie that I'm okay. Believing this lie. that, Je- But Jesus proclaims good news here to the poor. And again, that's good news for those who realize our poverty. For those who are fine without him, that makes no difference at all. Here's the truth. We can operate kind of rely on ourselves. We can, we can um, do things on our own. We can, we can 
act and operate as though we are in control uh, when the reality is that Jesus did not come proclaiming good news who, to those who are fine without him. In fact, the Bible is very clear of the judgment to that kind of pride. He came proclaiming good news to the poor, to seek, to save the lost, the broken. Apart from Christ, you, no matter who you are, are spiritually bankrupt. Do you realize it? Apart from Christ, church, do you realize your poverty? Because God came to proclaim, Jesus came to proclaim good news to the poor. Let's look at the second thing. He, is, he says, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. I'm assuming that not many of us have been in captivity, held against our will, through force, held it. If you have, though, this will make more sense than it does to the rest of us. It'll have more meaning than it does to the rest of us. But for a captive, there is nothing that a captive wants more than freedom, than liberty. To be released, to be let go. And by the way, this statement would have been so close to home for the Jewish people. They knew what captivity felt like. They knew what it felt like. They've experienced it. But now, again, Jesus goes beneath the surface, and he's not talking about strictly physical captivity here, but spiritual captivity. He says, I come to proclaim liberty to the captives. And that is good news. Again, just like we said with poverty, though, it's only good news to those who realize that we are in captivity. Uh, freedom is not great news to those who have never known captivity. It's just normal news. But Jesus brings good news here from, from captivity to freedom. I want to look at something real quick. You don't have to turn with me here. I'm going to put it on the screens. But real quick, I want to read to you something that comes from Romans that will help kind of unpack this uh, for us. Because the Bible makes something very clear. Romans 6 is where I'm going to go, by the way. The Bible makes something very clear. That, that apart from Jesus Christ, we are spiritual captives, we are slaved, we are shackled. Listen to verse 5 in Romans 6. For if we have been united with him in, death, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. That's great news. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would, what, no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer what has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Listen to verse 12. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Verse 14, for, for sin will have no dominion over you. 
you hear that language? Enslaved to sin, having dominion over you, sin reigning over you. Have you ever wondered why there are certain sins in your life that you cannot conquer? That you cannot just rid yourself of? The Bible tells us because that sin has dominion apart from Jesus Christ. That it has dominion, that we are captives. And there is nothing that you can do about it. Praise God, church, that Jesus said this. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Because although you can't do anything about it, our Savior did. Everyone in this room is either a captive or a former captive. Everyone. But the good news is that there is freedom in Christ. Galatians says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Third, Jesus says, recovering of sight to the blind. Now, uh, follow me here. There's a difference between a person who is blind and a person who is wearing blinders. See, for the person who is wearing blinders, he can't see anything, it's dark, but all he has to do to fix the problem is to reach up and to remove the blinders. And all of a sudden, once what was dark is now there's light and you can see. Let me be clear, we are not like that. We are not like that. You are not like the man with the blinders because the, the problem with the man with the blinders was not the man, it was what the man was wearing. And because of that, all the man had to do was take them off. Again, that's not what the Bible says that we are. The Bible says instead that you are a blind man. And here's the difference. Uh, you can't see. Everything's black. You can't see. You can't function. And there's nothing you can do. There's no blinders you can take off. There's nothing that you can do to solve, to remedy this problem in and of yourself. You're a blind man and you cannot see and there's nothing you can do to make yourself see. The Bible um, says that we are blind to God, blind to God's truth. We're blind to our sin. We're blind to our pride. We cannot see. And more than that, we can do nothing to make ourselves see but God. I love but God moments. But God sends his son into the world to, to take, just take this in, to take us and give sight to the blind. Meaning, again, can we just acknowledge that is good news. That is good news. Uh, one of the most famous songs is, is Amazing Grace, right? Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found was blind, but now I see. That is good news. By the grace of God, because of Jesus Christ, the poor are loved, the captives are set free, and the blind now see. Number four, Jesus says, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. The word for oppression here carries with it a pretty strong force. It means to, to break, to weaken, to overpower, to, to um, render powerless. That's what oppressed means. And so have anyone in this room, by the way, ever felt that way? Felt broken? Felt overwhelmed? 
felt powerless, felt overpowered, Jesus says, God has sent me to give you liberty from that. That is good news, church. Lastly, God says uh, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus here is referencing uh, what would have been seen as the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee, which among all things is seen by the Jewish people to be a dawning of a new age, a salvation and forgiveness. And, and Jesus says here, the dawning of this age is here. Salvation and forgiveness is here. God has sent me to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, all of these things are absolutely incredible, but here's why I wanted to walk through them again. Because all of them, as incredible as they are, when we put them in light of Jesus' sermon, that is life-changing. Listen to what, take this all in. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus says this, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What does that mean? It means all who are poor, all who are captive, all who are blind, all who are oppressed. The good news is not just for later. The, the liberty, the freedom is not just for later. The healing is not just for later. The good news is now and the good news is here. The good news is that Jesus Christ fulfilled it. I get so tired sometimes because I think too often, too many of us get too content in our shackles. And we think this is just the way life is. I'll never, I'll never see freedom. This is just the way it is. Because for freedom, Christ has set us free. Not later. Praise God, yes, later, but it doesn't start later. It starts now. Jesus fulfilled these scriptures in your hearing. It's not just a future freedom. This freedom is today in Jesus Christ. If you, for those of you who have not yet trusted in Jesus Christ, you've not yet responded to the good news, there is freedom. There is hope. There is forgiveness, and it can be yours today, not just later. There is freedom today. The good news is today, and so church, we get the opportunity to respond to him today. For those who are living lives, it's still just Captives, still slaves, still oppressed. Church, there is freedom, there is liberation, there is healing right now through Jesus Christ. Let me say this just as clearly as I can. Um, you do not need to be captive to sin that has a grip on you. You do not need to be content with it. And just live with it like 
you are, don't buy the lie that you are powerless. Church, Christ came so that you are free, no longer captive, uh, no longer oppressed, no longer a slave, but free as a child of God. Not that you will be, not that you will be later, not that you will be later after you die, but that you are free in Christ today because of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are free. Jesus says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today, church, let's respond. Would you pray with me? God, I believe that you are at work in your people this morning. I thank you that you are a God who, who doesn't just leave us alone to figure things out, to just leave us. You're a God that you're not a God who just doesn't care about us, but God, that you love us so dearly that you sent your son to die for us so that we can know you, so that we can follow you, and, and so that we are no longer slaves to the things that we were once enslaved to. God, for those of us in this room who have never yet responded to the gospel, I pray that this is that moment. Right now in the quietness of this room, that this is the moment that for the first time that, that eyes are opened and that we respond to the gospel through believing in Jesus Christ. God, we respond. For those of us in this room who, who for although we, we trust and we believe Jesus is our salvation and we are followers of Jesus that we have been content for too long living in the shackles of slavery. And we bought the lie that later we will get this worked out, later we will see freedom, later, 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 later. And, and through this moment, God, would you speak and show us it is not later, it is now. For all of us in the room who, who are struggling with fear, struggling with lust, struggling with anger, struggling with doubt, for all of us in the room that, that feel like we are hypocrites and that there are dark areas in our life that we would want no one to know, and yet we've been content. God, show us that that is slavery and that you have called us away from that and that you have dealt with that through the blood of your son. God, I pray that in this room, that for all of us who are shackled, that it is no, we are no longer blinded, we are no longer content, but instead that we run to you because you have said, today, it has been fulfilled. There is good news for those who are poor, and we are poor. There is liberty to those who were in captivity, and we have been in captivity. 
that there is sight to the blind. And there is freedom to those who have been oppressed. And we stand on that freedom right now through your word, through your son who said, for freedom, we have been set free. God, we stand on it. We trust you in it. And God, we just respond to your good news. It is nothing we have brought to this table. It is nothing we have done. It is only what you have done and what you have accomplished and we stand on it and we thank you. In Jesus' name.